thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food reel with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and thanks for joining the Real Food Real. Today I have my good friend Dr. Phil Maffetone joining us so we can discuss what is MAF training, how to become an efficient athlete and the pros and cons of metabolic testing. Phil has joined us a number of times now and as you should all know, he is the guru of health, nutrition and human performance. Hi Phil, it's great to have you back on the show. Hi Steph, so nice to be with you again. Thanks for your time today. So what I wanted to start with um, is a little bit of a concept or an explanation of your MAF method so that our listeners that might not be aware um, can appreciate what is the method and then certainly the mechanisms behind that. Sure. MAF maximum aerobic function and the MAF approach over the years, as I've, as I've um, kind of put it together, is really just a method of improving health and fitness so that you can improve human performance, and that human performance can be athletic performance as well as um, uh, brain or uh, any other performance that you can think of. Um, when the human body is both healthy and fit, we, we perform uh, better. And um, the problem we see in sports in particular is uh, the, the problem of athletes being fit but unhealthy. And you become unhealthy, uh, uh, you are injured when you're uh, fatigued, when you're uh, depressed. Um, so an injury can be a physical injury injury like a knee problem it can be a biochemical injury where you don't have enough energy you're you're tired too often fatigued you're hungry all the time that would be a biochemical injury and mentally um if we're depressed uh that's a an example of a of a mental injury so maf is a way to 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 be both healthy and fit and get all the human performance benefits out of your body yeah absolutely so take us through why it's the 180 minus age and what are the benefits of using this heart rate to develop your aerobic system? Well, uh, long ago when I first started working with athletes, I used a lot of, the, there weren't many formulas back then, there weren't any heart monitors back then. Mm. Um, not that I'm aging myself, but it really wasn't that long ago. And um, uh, I found that the the traditional training approaches that people were using were really harmful, and and I used a variety of measures, physical evaluations. Um, I would I would bring a lot of runners, which a lot of the athletes I worked with in the beginning were runners. Boom had hit, and there were a lot of them around, and there were a lot of them getting injured. And so I would go every week to an outdoor track with a, a lot of runners and uh, watch them run and do a gait analysis. And eventually, uh, we didn't have the traditional wireless heart rate monitors like we have today. But back then, I used um, a, a hospital heart monitor, which was rather crude, but quite accurate. And what I noticed was that in run, their heart rate got higher the gait would become more irregular. Mm. And that if I lost their heart rate, it would not become irregular. It would stay quite um, quite stable, quite good. Um, and so I found this point in heart rate that seemed to be uh, quite appropriate for training 
they wouldn't get injured, they wouldn't get tired, and they would, on race day, perform their best. And to make a long story short, uh, um, I eventually came up with a, a formula that would come up with the same heart rate so that anybody could, could um, find this, what I called the aerobic heart rate, uh, what became known as the MAF heart rate. Uh, um, and that was the 180 formula. And you subtract your age from 180 and you adjust that number by putting yourself in one of the categories that uh, you can um, uh, in the links you may have, or it's on my website as well, in in, in all my books. Um, and the one, the MAF heart rate, um, as I discovered as time went on, correlated with two very very important things. It is the aerobic threshold. Now everyone is familiar with the anaerobic threshold, but before you reach the anaerobic threshold, there is an aerobic threshold, which is the peak of function of the aerobic system and i thought that was very interesting and then as more studies were done by other researchers um it was discovered that there's also a point called fat max the maximum amount of fat and that also correlated with the aerobic threshold and it correlated with the maf heart rate Mm. so basically the maximum aerobic function heart rate is the level that you can develop your aerobic system and reap a lot of the the many, many benefits, which include fat burning and uh, muscle balance and performance improvement uh, and so on and so forth. And, um, and so that, that's, a, a, in a nutshell, what the MAF heart rate and the MAF system is. Yeah, great summary. So just briefly then, when you go above the MAF heart rate, what's the problem then? Well, it's it's not always a problem. It often mm. is a problem in people who aren't sure they're above the heart rate or don't realize what it is or don't realize it. But as you go above that MAF heart rate, your fat burning begins to diminish quickly and your sugar starts to go up. And that is essentially a biochemical stress on the body. And that stress further inhibits fat burning and the aerobic system. And in most cases, there are times when we want to do that, that, such as during interval training um, and, of course, during a race. But for most people, that's going to have a negative impact on training because the goal in training, whether we're, we're a runner or a cyclist, a triathlete, if we're in endurance sports, and, and by endurance sports, you know, anything really a mile, when, when you're looking at a mile race, you rely on half of your energy to come from the aerobic system. So that it's a significant thing. As you move up and get to the marathon, that number becomes you know 98%. So we, as endurance athletes, rely on our aerobic system almost exclusively for energy during. So when you go above that MAF heart rate, we go beyond the aerobic threshold. We we start moving away from that maximum fat burning state, and we start getting more stressed and more anaerobic, which. For most people, like I said, defeats the purpose of of a good training session. Yeah, so we call that the black hole where I think too many athletes spend too much time. So do you have um, reasons for that, like what you've seen over the years as to why perhaps people have been training without the aerobic heart rate in mind, i.e. training too fast? Yeah, what a great question. It's, it's one that we need to um, we need to address frequently because it's a it's a, a thing athletes go beyond that point. I, I I see numerous reasons for it. Number one, running is a very social sport. Yeah, we want to get better. Yeah, we want to train. We want to have fun and so on and so forth. But if we're training with other athletes 
then we're probably competing with other athletes. And as a result, everybody goes faster than they want to go and everybody goes faster than they should go. Not everybody, but um, in a group of mixed athletes, for example, um, some who are good athletes that have a good aerobic system may not be going above their MAF heart rate, but many others are. And so that's one reason. Um, another is that we're in a no pain, no gain society. More is better, we think, which is a, a myth. It's, but we have this no pain, no gain well entrenched in our brains, and it's hard to get out of it. You know, if we do more, it because because of what I don't know, but that's what people think. Um, so those are those are two of the big reasons why we do that and a lot of people think they're in better shape than they are um in some cases um and it's kind of interesting in some cases um especially when people don't have a good aerobic system they're training at their maf heart rate and they feel like they're they almost feel bad because they're going too slow and if they just speed up a little bit they almost feel a little better I've been able to demonstrate that when you go into that mild anaerobic state, when you go into that sugar burning state and you go past your aerobic threshold, you start burning sugar for energy more so, and, and it makes you feel better. And I'm not quite sure why that is. might've been something we learned as, as younger athletes. Um, although I see it in people who were never athletes when they were younger. So um, that's an interesting observation. I'm not quite sure why that happens. Of course, once they remain in that higher state for a few minutes, they stop feeling as good as they did a few minutes earlier. And uh, then the question is, are they going to really regroup and slow down and get back to a good aerobic pace? Or are they going to really push themselves and run themselves into the ground? in their workout which is unfortunately quite often what happens yeah absolutely and i think you made a like a good point about the sugar i mean we know that sugar triggers the the opiates in the brain which is obviously part of the addiction process but it is that feel-good chemical so i appreciate why that sort of training feels good short term but as you've said the, mm -hmm. the, the medium to long-term implications are quite um, damaging and certainly the inflammatory cascade that we need to be avoiding for performance and health longevity. So it's very interesting that we see that as being a common example, but obviously with your method, it's the direct opposite. So we can educate athletes and you know everybody how to look after their performance and longevity. Right. And it really is sad that so many athletes are willing to sacrifice their health for what they think is a little fitness. And sometimes it is a little more fitness in the short term. For example, if you want to perform really well for your potential, um, you can just overtrain week after week. And, and if you do that, you may not know when you're peaking, but you'll hit this peak and you, you may have a great race, but then you'll fall apart. And you, you may develop some chronic injuries. You may create some metabolic problems for yourself. Um, but it's, a, it's an example of what happens to many people. They, they run themselves into the ground. They perform well at some point along the way. And they think, well, this is working. And then they have to take time off because of injury or ill health. Then they come back and they do the same thing again. And it's really... Um, it, it's sad to see that, and um, uh, if you if you look around at at the histories of many of the the athletes that have been around for a while, they they follow that pattern. Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, last year you did an interview um, looking back at your time with Mark Allen, six time Ironman triathlon world champion, and and considering as to why we haven't seen another male triathlete of his caliber dominate at Hawaii. And I, and I think, well, I wanted to ask you, do you think it's because yeah, the methods yeah. have, have been incorrect since that time? I think uh, because the, the trend in triathlon has been uh, like in running and cycling and other sports 
the trend has been no pain, no gain, sacrifice mm-hmm. your health for more fitness, um, et cetera, and et cetera. And Mark, Mark uh, goes along with that. He, he sees these young athletes uh, not willing to take his advice or the advice of others because they want to figure it out on their own. Um, I, I can uh, understand that to an extent, um, but you know, there's nothing like uh, experience. Teaching that experience, um, uh, you know, Mark's Mark's um, marathon time in Kona, uh, his record marathon time still stands today. It's twenty, I don't know, twenty three years, twenty four years. I, I don't remember. Um, and it's a, it's about a 238 marathon. Back then, they included the transition times in the marathon time. So it's listed at 240, but that hasn't been broken either. Um, and I think uh, you're right. The, 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 the problem of uh, is uh, still with us today. It's more of an epidemic than ever. And um, it's a, a, a good example of, of, uh, of the problem. Yeah, and certainly why I think it's time for us to change our methods if it's been over 20 years with um, no one absolutely, you know, dominating in, in any sense, um, not just Kona. Exactly. So let's go back to the modifications that you briefly mentioned. So we know the MAF formula is um, 180 minus your age, but there are some modifications within that. Um, I'll put the show notes so that um, our listeners can make those adjustments if they've been ill or sick or if they've been training consistently they can make some additions um but talk us through the individualization of the MAF formula and then what do we do with our MAF as we age yeah there there's some individual indiv- really in most cases in most athletes who look at the formula if they're honest they will find one of four categories to to put themselves into and come up with a uh, an MAF heart rate Mm. um some cases uh people over the age of 65 for example um the the formula says you may have to add 10 beats to your result uh, if you are a competitive athlete and you're healthy, so you haven't been injured. And the reason it says that is because when, when I was developing this formula and the, and the MAF system, there were hardly any 65 and older athletes in any sport back then. I, I, I remember having a, a patient who was 62 and I was so excited. He, he, you know, he he was a um, consistent runner. He wanted to be healthy, and um, and he was a lot of fun to work with. And I was, and I had as much fun with him as I did with a Mark Allen or a Mike Pig or or any of the other um, speedsters because this guy was, I don't know, he it, it was just unusual to, to see somebody that old today. Of course, they're all over the place. People who are 60 and older, 65, 70, 75, um, um, not a lot of seven-olders, but but that group will be building. Um, so I didn't have a lot of 65-year-olds to, to collect data from, which is where a lot of this came from. So what I, in the small numbers of, of athletes I had who were 65 and older, I... I um, um, I, I came up with an MAF heart rate for them, just like every other athlete. Um, and, um, it didn't always fit the 180 formula. So I thought this is something you have to analyze the bottom line in whether you have an obvious MAF heart rate that you've come up with, or you're not sure because, uh, people can't be honest they say well i'm taking this medication but that doesn't count does it mm. no it says if you're on any medication mm. so the bottom line is that if you find an mas heart rate you start training and you improve then 
improve via doing an MAF test, for example. In other words, you get faster at the same heart rate or you can push more power at the same heart rate as the weeks go by. Then you know you've got the right training heart rate. But if you if you can't do that, then it's possible that you don't have the right heart rate, that it actually is too high. And in your process of figuring it out, you came up with too high of a heart rate. Now, there are other things that can do that. Can do that, and of course, eating a bad diet can do that. So, um, you know, experimentation is the key. But most people really can can find that MAF heart rate quite well from the formula. They can also do metabolic testing, but they can usually um, a, a good training heart rate, and then do their MAF test regularly, and um, that'll tell them whether they're on the right or not. Yeah, great. So is it correct that you would potentially do three MAF tests and if you're not improving, you'd readjust your heart rate? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good general guide. You know, um, so here, here's an athlete. Um, he or she looks at the 180 formula, comes up with an MAF heart rate, does MAF test number one, and comes up with a certain pace for, say, a runner. And a month later, the MAF test is done. I would expect if, if, if a runner has been good with their lifestyle fat, if their diet has been modified as necessary, if their stress levels have been um, adjusted, uh, if they're if they're truly adhering to their MAF heart rate during the runs and not um, not pushed into running faster because they're running with somebody else, then after a month of training, I would expect most people would see some improvement. Now they might see improvement even before a month in their in their regular workouts. Certainly by two months, if if the change in, if if an improvement is not seen, then I would I would suspect that something is blocking the progression of the aerobic system, and it could be the heart rate's too high, could be something with the diet, could be a combination of things, and it's it's up to you to uh, figure this stuff out. It's better to be conservative with your heart rate than to um, you know. Re- Risk being one or two beats or three beats higher, which is often enough to prevent progress. Can you say that again? <laughs> it, it's, it's better to be conservative with your MAF heart rate. So if, you, if you're looking at the 180 formula and you say, well, maybe I'm in this category, maybe I'm in that category, choose the category that gives you the lowest heart rate rather than the other way around. Thank you. Because you can never do harm by progressing a little bit slower. In the end, say after a year, um, the effect of going a little slower is not going to really have any significant effect effect on your race pace. Mm -hmm. Maybe a few seconds in a 10K, hypothetically, but, you know, you're going to be healthier. Yeah, I agree. And I heard what you said. I just wanted you to reiterate that because I think it's really important that only a subtle difference above your MAF will delay your progress. Whereas on the other side, if you're conservative, that's where you will get progress and completely change your fat burning ability and long-term health and performance. Exactly. And that's, that's important. And we don't know who can tolerate an to and who can't it really has to do with stress it's the accumulation of um, physical biochemical and mental stress and when when those stresses affect our body our brain responds our our we have a mechanism that controls our stress hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and the brain tells the body to release stress hormones they impair fat burning they affect muscle balance, and they just trash our athletic body, and and that's something we have to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. 
So let's dive into a discussion about metabolic testing. Um, I've seen the popularity of this in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, metabolic testing hasn't always been around and we've done quite well or some have done quite well by using the MAF formula and slowing down to go faster. Can you share your thoughts on metabolic testing and whether we should rely on our MAF heart rate or our crossover point heart rate? Well, there, you know, metabolic testing has been around for a long time. Uh, people are most familiar with, with um, a similar test where VO2 max is measured. When VO2 max is being evaluated, they, they um, get you on the treadmill and they, they, it's almost like a race. You start and you start running and they ramp you up in speed and they bring you up to a very high heart rate quickly. With a metabolic test where we want to see how much fat you're burning, it's, the test is done differently. Your, your um, pace increases at a much slower rate, and, and um, we can then look at the, that beginning level of slow running and say, oh, here's where your fat burning is doing well. And, and if, if it's not done properly, if the protocol is not correct, then metabolic testing will miss the, the important parts of, of measuring fat burning. And so that's a very, very important thing. You can, you can rely quite safely, you can rely on the MAF heart rate as determined by the 180 formula because more often than not, correlates with a properly executed metabolic evaluation. Um, if you're going to decide to go to a lab or a facility where um, they have a treadmill and the equipment to, to measure um, your fat burning and sugar burning, um, plan to have it done properly and plan to have it repeated because doing at once doesn't make any sense because uh, once you have the numbers, you want to go back at some point and see if you're actually improving based on whatever heart rate you obtained from this test that showed you were uh, burning at maximum fat levels at this heart rate or that heart rate. So doing the test with some regularity is important. Now that that makes this test uh, less available for many people. First of all, um, the test is not available everywhere. You have to travel to get it. Uh, the people who do the test, many times they do a VO2 max test and they're less interested in looking at fat burning. Uh, the test sometimes is expensive and doing it regularly uh, suddenly becomes um, prohibited for people. And I find, by the way, that um, uh, elite athletes in, in all sports tend to shy away from these tests as well um, for various reasons. They just shy away from them. And, and the same holds true for research. I just read a uh, – I, I can't remember the name of the journal. I, I just read an opinion piece in sports medicine journals that said it's about time that we're getting more elite athletes into research. Um, so certainly I, I've seen the same thing, but generally um, elite athletes shy away from this as well. Um, so uh, don't think that all elite athletes do this and you should do it too. If you want to do this, do it because you don't, know where your MAF heart rate is, you don't know where your aerobic threshold is, your fat max level, and you want to find out in the lab. And then you, like I say, you're going to have to go back to find out if you're improving it because that's, that's part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we can certainly do it without the metabolic testing, but there's obviously more data that that provides you in terms of your, you know, your grams per minute or your um, grams per hour or certainly what your fuel utilization looks like. Um, but do you think that – Go on. 
you know, it's, it's, it's also important to, to, um, to save yourself a test. I think it's important to wait until you can build some aerobic function before you have your first test, unless you want to see how bad you are. Um, <laughs> because you're, you, you know, you, you may not be very good and, 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 um, and the person who does, depending on who's involved, if there's a person involved who's a, a coach or a trainer uh, or a physiologist or a clinician, um, he or she may may say, "Look, your your fat burning is very bad, even at the lows of of heart rate and, and pace, and you should um, reduce your your carbohydrate and lower and this and that." And come back in a month, and we'll check you. Well, there are some basic guidelines that people should follow for, from a dietary standpoint, which is to avoid junk food, for example, to name one of them. Um, warm up and cool down before your all your your workouts. Um, so if you if you go through that process first, you'll save yourself one visit. And um, still be able to do, you know, at least two or three tests so that you can actually see you're improving and then get your MAF heart rate or your aerobic threshold fat max heart rate um, more more fine-tuned. Yeah, absolutely. So what are your thoughts on the protocol then? How long should the warm-up be and what, uh, what is the ideal um, duration of each stage? Well, I think that, you know, four or five minute increments in slowly um, increasing the pace. Um, there are some, I'd say there's more than one protocol that's effective, but you want to do the same protocol each time because it can, it can change a little bit. And so you want to find someone who understands fat burning, who understands what aerobic threshold is and fat are probably two things that um, you can ask a, a potential uh, person who's going to be doing this. Yeah. They're able to tell you where your aerobic threshold is and your fat max. And also ask them if they're familiar with the MAF heart rate. And um, like uh, many people I know who do this test, uh, they find that it all correlates quite well to, to what they're measuring. So, um, you know, find the, the facility that's the best match for you. Um, if your goal is to burn off body fat, a better fat burner and a healthier athlete, then that's the, that's the kind of uh, facility and person you want. And they will have their own protocol, which they may have modified slightly based on uh, the equipment or, or uh, uh, the, the kinds of approaches that they, that they use. Um, I'm not stuck on one protocol in particular, but there are little variations. But you don't, you know, you don't want to go and have a VO2 max test and expect to have, using that protocol, expect to have your aerobic threshold and your fat max uh, appearing in your results. It's possible to do both at once, um, but it generally is that way. Okay, that's a really good point. So then if the MAF heart rate doesn't match up with the crossover point, um, what are a couple of reasons that can explain that? And one is probably the effectiveness of the test or the instructor doing the test. Um, what else? Yeah, it could be the, the way the test was done. It, it could be that you consume too many carbohydrates before the test, which would suppress your fat burning. Uh, it could be that the, uh, in your case, the 180 formula was not just right for you. Uh, it could be some combination of things. And um, again, if you're not sure and you you have a, a you know a couple of numbers or more than a couple, you know maybe it's is your Maybe that's your training heart rate, or maybe that's your training heart rate. Which one is it? Choose the more conservative one initially, and then measure your MAF test because um, that is a, a, a 
very effective evaluation. If your submax training pace does not improve, your aerobic system is not improving. You're not you're improving. And submax paces are a better prediction of race performance than or interval workouts or even race paces themselves being predictive of, of future races. Um, and everybody talks about that. You know, if you could run a 10K in 40 minutes, you should be able to run uh, a marathon in, you know, three hours. So, the, you know, they have all these formulas and they're just terrible uh, predictive things. Anaerobic, anaerobic activity does not predict race pace nearly as well as submax prediction. So measure your submax performance. That's what the MAF test does. Yeah. So what's the ideal scenario? So I know that if you're looking at a marathon time, you should get your MAF pace is to 15 to 30 seconds. Is that correct? Say that again. Did you say 15 seconds? Yeah. How close you want to get your MAF pace to your goal race pace? Yeah, that's you know. So what what I what I did early in my career is I gathered a lot of data comparing MAF test times, the first mile MAF test times, and and these are all on the website and and uh, elsewhere out there. Um, and so if you could run a certain uh, uh, MAF first mile in your MAF test, then it's predictive for a certain five k time in the marathon. Um, what for for you know back of the pack, mid pack, and and the elites. I found that that your marathon pace was going to be about fifteen seconds per mile faster than your first mile MAF test pace. So if you could run an eight minute MAF test on your first mile. Then you can you could plan on a seven forty five pace for the marathon all the way through. And this is per mile. And that's for a flat course. You know, when you get to the hilly courses, um, you're going to be slowed down. So that's obviously per mile. So how how does that translate to us in Australia? <laughs> oh, you'll have to plug that that. <laughs> I'll have to plug those numbers in, and but you'll have to plug them in too. I don't know. I always have to, you know. There's a there's a there's a um, a whole bunch of websites that you can plug in um, uh, mile splits, you know, and what it, the equivalent uh, kilometer splits are. Of course, yeah. But the relationship is is a very important one faster than your MAF heart rate over 42 kilometers. Yeah, yeah, very good. I think that gives us... And what it also infers, kind of indirectly what it infers, is that if you cheat a little bit in the beginning, go too fast, trouble later. The, the, The best way to run a marathon is to... is to be consistent. And, of course, people say, well, how do I know how fast I'm going to run? Well, if you do an MAF test, you'll have a pretty good idea. And what's the worst-case scenario? You get to mile 25, and you have so much energy that you can run, uh, you know, your last mile at a much faster pace. And I've had people say, yeah, I ran a personal best for that marathon. I was so mad. I had so much energy at the end. I could have run much faster. Well, you don't really know that. Yeah. You're supposed to have a lot of energy at the end. That's that's what racing is all about. Yeah, I think some people are going to be quite shocked at that statement because we're so used to redlining and and falling across the finish line, which is obviously when you're in that glucose yeah. state. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, even the studies show, uh, Tim Noakes has done some of these studies where um, 
you know, all race distances um, have have athletes um, who, uh, most athletes at least, uh, who can run a better uh, f- final kilometer or final mile, even in the, even in the mile race, four laps around the track or whatever your track distance is, you're, you're going to have a, a, a faster fourth lap than the other three in most cases. Mm. Um, and, and what the reason for that, the brain knows what we're doing. The brain knows how far we have to run. The brain knows exactly how much fat we have, how much sugar we have, uh, all the way to the the glycogen gauge, it looks at um, the CO2, the oxygen levels, it looks at muscle, lactate levels, et cetera, et cetera. And it monitors our, our race uh, moment by moment better than any machine can do. And so by the time you get to the end, even though you're really run down, as everybody who, run, who has run races knows, most of us are able to run. Most of us are able to kick in those last few hundred meters. Yeah, absolutely. So, what about with regards to the metabolic testing? Just one final question there. Um, what if so, so? What if someone has a a point at which they? believed to be their MAF, but in the metabolic testing, they are burning quite a high amount of carbohydrate at that intensity. Would you then go back and readjust their formula or perhaps have a look at if they've missed out on using some of the adjustments, like you said before, about having trouble being honest? Yeah, I would do both. I would look at the, the well, I don't use the, the one eighty. Because I have my own way of coming up with a number. It usually matches to the formula, but I go into more, more detail to a very detailed physical examination. Um, I look at their gait at all different heart rates, and I really fine-tune that we may uh, We may be a beat or two above or below, um, but if they're... If they're via the 180 formula coming up with, uh, say, a 140 heart rate, and then they go and have a metabolic test and they find that 140 heart rate, they're burning a lot of sugar fat, then I would look at the protocol of the test to see if that was done. They ate for breakfast before the test, assuming it was in the morning or whatever meal uh, they had, uh, the two meals actually. Actually, before the test, because both, uh, if you have too much carbohydrate, will increase insulin and reduce fat burning. Um, and I'd want to take a, a, a look at the 180 formula and say, you know, were you honest about all these factors? It's amazing how how often when I talk to an athlete, um, uh, I'll say, you don't have any of these problems for. You know, do, you haven't had any injuries. Well, I have this plantar fasciitis problem I've had for a couple of years, but it's not really an injury. Well, it is an injury, um, uh, or or whatever biochemical injuries. Usually, people don't, don't look at it as being an injury. I'm I'm tired. I'm I get headaches every day. I don't sleep very well. Those are all biochemical injuries, and they're very real. They create significant stress, and they have to be factored in. Otherwise, you're not going to get the results you want in the end. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, that's the most important part that we select our heart rate, um, you know, quite carefully and then obviously be patient for the adaptation. Um, Athletes notoriously are a little bit impatient. Right, right. And, you know, sometimes sometimes I'll say to somebody who, who just is persistent about saying, well, my friend is the same age, and, and he trains at a very high heart rate, and and he's doing really well on, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes I want to say, you know, do anything you want. Train any way you want, but only do one thing. 
do an MAF test once a month, uh, submax test once a month. It doesn't have to be an MAF test, but do a submax test, which is what the MAF test is thing at a submax level. Then whatever you're doing in training is working. And if you improve month after month, then you're you're right on course. But I can guarantee that if you're a little bit above your MAF heart rate, you're training there, you're not going to improve that once a month submax test. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great benchmark and very repeatable in nature. So absolutely. So the last topic I wanted to discuss with you was the MMAF. So there is now something called the modified MAF heart rate, which we see being used by athletes that um, I think believe they are or maybe are running the assumption that they're quite fat adapted. So what are your thoughts on the extrapolation of, say, adding adding five beats to a heart rate um, to, say, everyone that be- believes they might be a fat adapted athlete? Um, I wish it was that simple. Yeah. And if you think you're fat adapted, you can add five. It, it, you know, what that'll do is it'll overtrain certain people. It'll help others and may not have an effect on still a few of them um, who are kind of in between. Um, I, I, I've been doing this my whole career. My goal in the beginning was to increase fat burning. Um, and when I saw that fat burning was improving, I would sometimes increase their training heart rate, but often I would not. I, I had I was working with an athlete last year who did well. Um, the MAF heart rate seemed to be working. Uh, the were improving, and uh, race performance was improving, and so on and so forth. And it just seemed because we initially had conservative MAF heart rate, it seemed like okay, now it's time to, you know, there's fat. Yeah, it's it's not as simple as adding five beats just because you think you're fat burning more because you've become ketogenic or you've reduced your carbohydrates more and you're feeling better, uh, whatever the reason. Now, if you have a metabolic test, um, uh, that could give you a reason if it's done properly. Um, the, the most important thing is to, if you want to experiment and, and I would be very careful with experimenting and I would be very careful with adding five beats because that's a pr- pretty good jump. If you, you know, if things are working really well and you want to add two to three beats, I would do an MAF test maybe weeks, um, a lot sooner than normal and carefully monitor the process because if you add three beats to your MAF heart rate and it's a good thing for you, it'll show in your MAF test. It'll, it'll be uh, a little better or maybe it'll be similar, but it won't be worse. But if you add three beats and that's over your MAF heart rate, your true MAF heart rate over your aerobic threshold, then your MAF test will suddenly, uh, either plateau if they've been improving or they'll start to worsen. So there's got to be a better reason other than you think your fat burning or your, your fat burning is better. And therefore, uh, you know, this is, this is a, a, a hint of, of no pain, no gain in disguise. And so uh, I have to be very careful. I've seen too many times when we've done this, when we've had to backtrack again and we end up wasting a month or two of training because we ended up going overboard. Yeah, absolutely. I think, as you say all along, it's important to be conservative, but the data collection is what tells you what needs to happen, i.e. if you're not getting the improvements, you make an adjustment moving forward. Right. Every Whether you have a, a training diary or, or an online um, program that, that uh, keeps track of your, your training or whatever, you should have somewhere uh, front and center the MAF test results. And and for those of you that have a Garmin, 
Uh, I wrote an, uh, an article just recently that's on the website called the MAF test, MAF GPS test, uh, which because we're often wearing our garment every day, we often know that we're out where we should be at this kilometer point, for example, uh, on our regular run. Um, and so you can read that MAF GPS test, but basically that's what it is. And uh, don't guess, you know, measure your, your, your yourself um, and, and don't guess. And as soon as you see that things are not what they appear to be, that you were, and maybe you are burning more fat, but that doesn't mean um, you're able to, to be right fat max point graph or the aerobic threshold um you can be like like we said earlier you can be off just the wrong way to the article called the maf gps test and look at that and and you won't have to wait a month not that you have to wait a whole month to do an maf test but if you have a if you have a gps and you run the same course every day or bike the same course every day and there's not a lot of hills you'll get a very good sense from day to day whether you're suddenly getting better or suddenly getting worse and um that's another very good way to objectively monitor your your progress so um just just turning up your maf heart rate five beats can be a very dangerous thing uh, without any information, just because you think you're burning more fat, which you may be, you think you're uh, uh, in ketosis, which you may be, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you can train harder and still improve and get away with it. So I would be very, very careful with that. I've I've experiment, experimented with this a lot. Um, uh, you know, it's not unusual for me to to be extremely conservative with an athlete in the beginning because they've had a lot of health problems. As those health problems disappear, as they get off medication, injuries go away, whatever the case, we do modify the heart rate and we do modify it up if that's warranted. So there are times when that will happen, but don't make the assumption because um, uh, you could lose some valuable training time. Yeah, spot on. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for your your insights into aerobic efficiency and certainly the MAF method and the pros and cons of metabolic testing. It's been fantastic to have you on the show again, Phil, and um, I look forward to seeing you in um, the near future, I think. Yes, thank you, Steph, so much. Wonderful. We'll talk to you really soon. Thanks. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.